a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Uh, in the home office today, uh, Tom Knighton is uh, off, so I'm doing a little bit of uh, extra writing and uh, had an appointment this afternoon to get my teeth cleaned, so I uh, didn't have time to make it down to the studio, but that's okay. We've got a good show for you regardless. In fact, we're going to be talking about the front page news of the Washington Post. A uh, police chief, I mean, this is the perfect front page story for the Washington Post. A police chief in Georgia uh, with a policy of shooting at the legs and uh, shooting at the pelvis, not aiming for center mass, in other words. Uh, and uh, this police chief is putting this policy in place in Georgia. We're going to get to that story in just a moment before we do, however. You have a, a special word to get to. Do you miss President Trump? Well, if so, you're not alone. And I'm coming to you with a very special offer that you do not want to miss. Now is your chance to win one of six signed photos of President Trump. These were hand-signed by President Trump, and soon one could be hanging in your home. When President Trump signed these photos, he wanted to make sure that all of his supporters had the chance to receive one. And now is your chance. All you have to do is text GUNS to 55404 today for your chance to win a beautiful photo of President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump hand-signed by President Trump himself. By texting G-U-N-S to 55404 right now, you'll also get exclusive double entry activation for a limited time. Again, text GUNS to 55404 to have your name entered twice to win a hand-signed Trump photo. You don't want to miss this. Contest in soon. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. All right, so let's talk about what's going on in Georgia. This is the headline from the Washington Post. A shoot to incapacitate policy puts Georgia police chief in town in spotlight. Well, first of all, I have to say, I, 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 there's a little bit of uh, gaslighting on the part of the Washington Post here in terms of the story that they're laying out. Because as it turns out, this policy uh, is, is not exactly a hard and fast rule. Uh, that the officers in this uh, town have to abide by. Um, it is something that the chief would like to see, apparently, uh, there in LaGrange, Georgia. But it is not necessarily a requirement, which, again, is is not exactly how the Washington Post portrays it. Uh, they write, the police chief of this picturesque deep south town says there's a better approach than aiming for center mass. Louis Deckmar who's run the LaGrange Police Department for 26 years, is training his officers to shoot for the legs, pelvis, or abdomen in situations where they think it could stop a deadly threat without killing the source of that threat. Doing so, he says, could make a difference in the more than 200 fatal police shootings nationwide every year that involve individuals armed with something other than a gun. He says every time we avoid taking a life, we maintain trust. Now, the Post says that the Chiefs Shoot to Incapacitate program has drawn interest from academics who say it merits further study. In the national law enforcement community, however, it has elicited harsh, widespread criticism. In, in, in part because law enforcement officers, whether or not they're trained to aim for center mass or as they're apparently trained in LaGrange, Georgia, aiming for the pelvis or the legs, the goal in all cases is to shoot to incapacitate. It is to shoot to stop the threat. So... What the chief here is saying is, well, we could be just as effective at stopping that threat 
by not aiming for center mass. Uh, in which case, you know, maybe we're going to improve the uh, the odds of survival uh, for the person who shot. Now, I would note as well that there are femoral arteries in the legs uh, that uh, uh, shooting to incapacitate may also, you know, run the risk of missing. Uh, one of the reasons why you're aiming for center mass is it's the, you know, biggest, widest part of the target, but it's also where the vital organs are located. So if you are trying to incapacitate somebody, if you're trying to stop that threat, it makes sense that that's where you would aim. Uh, the Washington Post, though, says other police leaders in Georgia have found the idea so controversial they made it a focus of their annual conference back in August, flying in nine experts to discuss the pros and cons. One group's executive director will soon release a position paper advising departments throughout the state not to follow Deckmer's lead. While such a policy might be supported by the public, explained John Edwards of the Peace Officers Association of Georgia, most agencies would find it impossible to implement. He says it has opened a Pandora's box. Yeah, I don't expect that many departments are going to be following LaGrange's lead. Washington Post uh, gets into the chief firearms instructor there in LaGrange, Georgia, who uh, apparently initially was uh, not a fan of the chief's idea, but after talking to the chief, came around. Joggingly. Yeah, I know. Maybe, you know, maybe he was truly converted. Maybe he just wanted to keep his paycheck. I don't know. But the uh, two apparently put together a 503-page document. Yeah, that should be easy to follow. Uh, entitled the LaGrange Police Department Incapacitation Shots. A training team created a program that included classroom instruction, videos of police shootings, various scenarios, and firearms testing at a gun range. To pass, officers had to accurately place 80% of 20 shots to various body parts on color-coded silhouettes. The department began its training of 94 officers back in February. The firearms instructor, now a convert, stressed the intent was to provide each with a backup option for threatening situations, one less likely to cause death. He said this wasn't about Annie Oakley-style sharpshooting, just a shift of aim if an officer had to take a shot, and it would never be required policy. He added, which again, completely contradicts the headline from the Washington Post and makes it sound like, in fact, this is the policy in LaGrange, Georgia. I would imagine that if this were the actual policy, that this would be a much more controversial uh, thing than it already is in the uh, town of LaGrange. Now, as for those critics, Washington quotes a couple, including Eric Daigle former officer and attorney, now law enforcement consultant in Connecticut. He said that shoot to incapacitate adds even more complexity to situations in which officers must react quickly to protect their own lives. In that moment, he said the police forces, the, the policy rather, forces them to decide whether the most deadly weapon should be used in a less deadly way. He said one thing we know for sure is that it's too much for a human being to process in a split second. Best, he says, to keep it simple and consistent. Seth Stoughton a uh, former police officer from Tallahassee, Florida, now a law professor at University of South Carolina, said he's gone through LaGrange training. He says he is still hesitant about it, and he is not certain it would work for other agencies. He says, quote, policing in a democracy means that a community gets to define what good policing looks like, and that definition may vary a bit from place to place. Washington Post is not dismissing what Deckmer's doing. Uh, after, quote, controversial police shootings that end in death, people often ask why an officer couldn't have shot the person in the leg or arm. Departments are quick to recite a litany of reasons. Stoughton wonders, he says, if it is not time to re-examine those reasons. I mean, you can re-examine them all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that those policies are in place 
for pretty good reasons. Um, over at Police One, and this was back in May, Kyle Sumner had a piece uh, all about this very thing. Should cops shoot to incapacitate? And he says the answer is yes. But he also notes that to incapacitate means to render a person or thing incapable of action. He says shooting to incapacitate is the only method uh, by which law enforcement officers can compel cessation of a deadly threat. When an injured person maintains the capacity to act, especially the capacity to inflict injury on another, then they are not incapacitated. So Sumner says, yeah, officers should be shooting to incapacitate, but that doesn't mean that they should be aiming for the pelvis or the arm or the leg. Uh, he says there are uh, uh, the ability to hit a limb depends on the officer's skill and uh, equanimity, as well as the unique environment of each encounter. Says, obviously, the more dynamic the situation is, the less likely a limb will be intentionally struck. But assuming a hit is scored, it is not logical to suggest or assume that we could rapidly incapacitate a person by shooting them in the pelvic region, abdomen, legs, and arms. He says to aim for those places is to hope for the cessation of the threat based on the assailant's choice. He says it may not work in some cases, or he said it may work in some cases, especially when the assailant is not dedicated to resisting and the assailant's weapon is not a firearm. He says, so I won't say never. He says, but incapacitation should not be expected, and we should not, therefore, refer to the technique as, quote, shooting to incapacitate. He says, instead, by avoiding the body's physiologically incapacitating target zones, we are hoping to achieve pain compliance. He says, we hope that a person shot in the pelvis or the arm or the legs or the abdomen will perceive pain and will not want more pain and will choose to comply in order to avoid more pain instead of continuing their dangerous aggression. By the way, Pain compliance doesn't sound quite as uh, touchy-feely as shooting to incapacitate, right? Shooting to incapacitate, again, is what every law enforcement officer does when they discharge their firearm uh, in the line of duty against an active threat. They are shooting to capacitate, incapacitate, rather. But pain compliance, hmm, that just sounds, that sounds mean, doesn't it? Even though we are supposedly talking about a less lethal uh, response. Sumner uh, concludes his piece at Police One uh, by saying that uh, police officers have a duty to protect themselves and others. A reasonable belief in imminent danger of serious injury creates the necessity for deadly force because only deadly force has the potential to compel cessation of a deadly attack within the time constraints needed to protect people against the present danger of serious injury. Uh, depending on the circumstances and unpredictable variables, once the attack is underway, it may already be too late to prevent serious injury or death. When an armed attack is underway, he writes, any response less than deadly force is wishful thinking. A hope for the best reliance on the assailant's good faith or good luck. So, what do you think? Will we see more uh, departments move to this uh, aim-for-the-leg mentality? Uh, or is this sort of a one-off there in LaGrange, Georgia? We'll uh, love to get your comments there in the comment section uh, below the video. You can also uh, shoot me an email, cam at edwards. No, sorry, that, that's wrong. Cam.edwards at barryandarms.com. There you go. There's the email address. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report as well. We will start there with a case out of Moline, Illinois where a jury has found a man guilty of setting a 2017 fire that killed an 88-year-old woman in Moline. Apparently, this was uh, regarding a, a drug dispute uh, between the arsonist 
uh, and the uh, uh, individual who was killed, her son. Um, as it turns out, though, this guy who was found guilty, Jason Michael McChurch, he's 38 years old, found guilty, again, of a residential arson and murder uh, after a four-day trial. Well known to law enforcement long before this fire was set on January 22nd, 2017. In fact, the Quad City Times reports that uh, this individual was first on the radar of law enforcement back in 2001. Uh, February 1st, 2002, McChurch pleaded guilty to three counts of burglary. He was sentenced to 30 months of probation. That was reduced, by the way, to one year of probation in September 2004. Then in September, excuse me, in June of 2009, McChurch was charged with aggravated battery. He was charged later that year with unlawful communication with a witness. McChurch pleaded guilty to aggravated battery, pleaded guilty to unlawful communication with a witness, and on January 27, 2010, he was sentenced to concurrent terms of 30 months probation. Yeah. May 24th, 2012, while McChurch is technically on probation still, about two weeks before his probation was supposed to expire, McChurch pleaded guilty to a charge of aggravated arson. And he was sentenced to two years probation. He was charged in connection with a March 23rd, 2012 residential fire. When officers got there, they found that an adult female and a two-year-old child had fled the duplex that had been set on fire. But again, probation. And then five years after that, March 2nd, 2017, about six weeks after he set the fire that killed this 88-year-old woman, McChurch pleaded guilty to a charge of possession of a controlled substance and was sentenced, that's right, to two years probation. It seems like no matter what this guy did, he got the same sentence. Somewhere between 24 and 30 months of probation. Burglary? Probation. Aggravated assault? Probation. Caught with drugs? Probation. Aggravated arson? Probation. Murder. Not probation. But it's a little late. And if Mr. McChurch had actually faced any sort of consequences for the litany of crimes that he was convicted of or pleaded guilty to in court, then perhaps 88-year-old Marion Dreyer would be alive today. Today's Armed Citizen story from uh, the Chicagoland area. CWB Chicago with the headline, Concealed Carry Holder Foiled Organized Tobacco Thieves at River North Walgreens, but they are still raiding stores. Perhaps it is time to replace the uh, security guards with more armed citizens there in the Walgreens. Yeah, two men apparently have stolen large volumes of cigarettes from Walgreens stores across the north side of Chicago. Got a scare back on October 14th. They ran across a concealed carry holder who sent them running. CBB <laughs> uh, Chicago uh, first reported the incident about a month ago uh, when they uh, ran across the uh, concealed carry holder there in the Walgreens. Yeah, these guys had uh, some place that they would rather be, apparently. Uh, and by the way, it's not just the Walgreens that are getting hit up. I mean, you're getting high-end department stores. You're getting Ulta's. Um, but these latest thieves, the ones uh, uh, targeting cigarettes, apparently at uh, Walgreens, yeah, they um, <clears throat> they they ran across the wrong guy, thankfully, which was uh, good to see because you know when you have these types of incidents 
in Chicago, as we are seeing on a daily basis. Uh, frankly, you know, armed citizens, I, I think, are about the, I don't want to say the, the, the only way uh, that uh, we're going to see this crime abate in Chicago, but it is one of the biggest ways that we can help to lower violent crime by ensuring that people can protect themselves. Now, I don't think this concealed carry holder was walking around at Walgreens uh, hoping to thwart tobacco thieves, but as it turns out, this guy was in the right place at the right time and uh, willing and able to uh, prevent those thieves from getting away with tobacco. Um, Wish we had more information about this. Apparently, according to CWB Chicago, uh, the two-minute hop-to-front counter confronted a manager, began collecting cigarettes, and then a concealed carry holder, quote, interrupted a theft, but the pair ran away. About a half hour later, according to Chicago police, they hit another Walgreens in Lincoln Park, once again forcing their way over the counter, stealing tobacco products. Apparently uh, no armed citizen there at that uh, second location. And finally today, our good deed of the day, down in uh, Florida, El Portal, Florida, where a good Samaritan in the right place at the right time, wasn't able to do the right thing to help a trooper rescue a choking baby girl on the side of Interstate 95. I mean, boy, you want to talk about some scary moments. There was a Florida Florida Highway Patrol officer who was stopped uh, over the weekend. Child's parents, who had already pulled over, were trying to get their young daughter to breathe. Um, But a good Samaritan who happened to have a device that can clear the airway of a choking child pulled over and rushed into action. Was able to assist that trooper. They were able to clear the airway for that little girl. She was able to catch her breath. Uh, The uh, child was taken to the local hospital to get checked out. But at last report, she's doing fine. And again, this really was a case of being in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing. I wish that we had more information about this Good Samaritan. Unfortunately, we don't. But hopefully uh, the Florida Highway Patrol will be able to elaborate on this because, I mean, you know, every now and then you, you see some of these good deeds rewarded either with a citation or a certificate or some sort of acknowledgement. I hope we get a chance to see that here in this case. But whoever that anonymous Good Samaritan was, we thank you very much for your very good deed. Now, that is about all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, we will be back tomorrow. I should be in studio tomorrow as well. So we'll get things back to normal. But uh, I didn't want to go a day without a show. That, that that's, that's no fun. So I'm glad we're able to get uh, something here to you. Uh, if you like, by the way, uh, what you hear and what you see on Bearing Arms Cam and Company, I would always encourage you to check out the website, bearingarms.com. You can even become a VIP subscriber at bearingarms.com. You can get exclusive analysis, commentary, stories you won't get anywhere else. It is our way of saying thank you for your support. We really do appreciate it. It means a lot to us. It helps us bypass the gatekeepers of information on social media, those who don't want you knowing what's going on with your right to keep and bear arms. We're going to find a way to get around them. We're going to find a way to make sure that you have all the knowledge and information that you need to protect your rights, to make sure that they are secure and strong going forward. And uh, looking forward to uh, being back with you tomorrow. But until then, remember to check out BarionArms.com. We'll see you online. And uh, until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. 